In my home, life was framed as an epic spiritual battle between good and evil. The good was my church and its members, and the evil was everyone else. My church's antics were such that we were constantly at odds with the world, and that reinforced our otherness on a daily basis. Make a difference between the unclean and the clean, the verse says. And so we did. From baseball games to military funerals, we trekked across the country with neon protest signs in hand to tell others exactly how unclean they were and exactly why they were headed for damnation. This was the focus of our whole lives. This was the only way for me to do good in a world that sits in Satan's lap. And like the rest of my 10 siblings, I believed what I was taught with all my heart and I pursued Westbrook's agenda with a special sort of zeal. In 2009, that zeal brought me to Twitter. Initially, the people I encountered on the platform were just as hostile as I expected. They were the digital version of the screaming hordes I'd been seeing at protests since I was a kid. But in the midst of that digital brawl, a strange pattern developed. Someone would arrive at my profile with the usual rage and scorn. I would respond with a custom mix of Bible verses, pop culture references, and smiling faces. They would be understandably confused and caught off guard, but then a conversation would ensue. And it was civil, full of genuine curiosity on both sides. How had the other come to such outrageous conclusions about the world? Sometimes the conversation even led into real life. People I spurred with on Twitter would come out to the picket line uh, to see me when I protested in their city. A man named David was one such person. He ran a blog called Julicious, and after several months of heated but friendly arguments online, he came out to see me at a picket in New Orleans. He brought me a Middle Eastern dessert from Jerusalem, where he lives, and I brought him kosher chocolate and held a God hates juice sign. <laughs> there was no confusion about our positions, but the line between friend and foe was becoming blurred. We'd started to see each other as human beings, and it changed the way we spoke to one another. It took time, but eventually these conversations planted seeds of doubt in me. My friends on Twitter took the time to understand Westbrook's doctrines, and in doing so, they were able to find inconsistencies I had missed my entire life. Why did we advocate the death penalty for gays when Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone? How could we claim to love our neighbor while at the same time praying for God to destroy them? The truth is that the care shown to me by these strangers on the internet was itself a contradiction. It was growing evidence that people on the other side were not the demons I had been led to believe. These realizations were life-altering. Once I saw that we were not the ultimate arbiters of divine truth, but flawed human beings, I couldn't pretend otherwise. I couldn't justify our actions, especially our cruel practice of protesting funerals and celebrating human tragedy. These shifts in my perspective contributed to a larger erosion of trust in my church, and eventually, it made it impossible for me to stay. Okay, our scripture today is from Acts 11, uh, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, 
Why do you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered on its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up to heaven again. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of God and how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praise God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. May God give us understanding through his word. So finish the sentence in your mind. I used to believe blank. But now I've changed my mind. Think about it. For a moment if you need to. I used to believe, but now I don't. Your story may not be as dramatic as the one we heard from Megan Phelps Roper, that daughter of Pastor Phelps from Westboro Baptist Church. It may not be as life-altering as Peter's story from Acts, but you have a story, don't you? You have changed your mind this last week on Wednesday morning before school, Finn, Oliver, and I went to Daylight Donuts, which is dangerously delicious. It was Ollie's first time to go, and he decided to get the strawberry milk. That pink container in the cooler was too much to resist. He had never had strawberry milk before. It used to be my favorite back when I didn't read labels and sugar content, but Ollie ordered it. It was pretty. It looked yummy. He tasted it and then never touched it again. And I said, Ollie, why aren't you drinking your strawberry milk? And he replied, I don't like it. Then why did you order it? And Ollie said, I never tried it before, but I did now, and I don't like it. (laughs) Well, I refused to throw it away. Perhaps it was too pretty or too expensive, but I put it in the refrigerator. Fast forward two days, Ollie, Daddy, where's my strawberry milk? Is it still good? Yes, it's in the refrigerator. I thought you don't like it. Well, I do now, Daddy, and he chugged it down. (laughs) 
We all change our minds, maybe not as quickly as Oliver, but we change our minds, food preferences, styles, color choices, brand preferences. Those are the surface things. But what about our views, our beliefs, our political, religious, social beliefs, our prejudices? Can we change our behaviors and our habits? If you've ever gotten into a Facebook argument in the comments section, you know how hard it is indeed to change someone's beliefs. Megan, on her video, might have been the only one to ever had their mind changed by Twitter. But it's possible. We've seen it happen. We can change. We've seen it happen with others. We've seen it happen with ourselves. But it rarely happens because of argument. Rarely do we convince someone into a life-changing idea providing a list of facts that we can undeniably believe and change our mind. Often it's more gradual. Often the change is rooted in personal experience. Now, Megan changed her views not because of the arguments so much as the compassion that people showed her when she heard their story online and then in person and seeing them, hearing their life, getting to know their point of view, she had to change hers. Now, that's Peter's story this morning. He used to believe that Gentiles were the unclean and out of favor with God. He, were he given the chance, probably would have held his own picket sign. God hates Gentiles. That's what he was taught. That God cared most that he eat clean foods, that he remain ritually pure, and that he stayed away from unclean people. But word got out that Peter had been eating with Gentiles and he came to this place and he told them the story of how God showed up in a dream. But more than that, God showed up in a person. That person's not named in our text. But if you flip to the chapter before Acts 10, you'll meet Cornelius, the man in in this retelling of the events that came to Peter, a Gentile. He wasn't just any Gentile, a Roman centurion who oversaw the occupation of Palestinian lands and every understanding of the Jewish faith, Cornelius was unclean. Perhaps there were rituals he could go through to become unclean, but it would be quite a chore. He wasn't favored by God. And the Holy Spirit, which Peter witnessed moving on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit that filled the apostles and those first 2,000 Christians on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit that changed lives, that had filled the church and brought them together as they shared everything in common, that same Holy Spirit Peter saw moving with Cornelius, with his family. In other words, God showed up where God wasn't supposed to be. God was doing things that God was not supposed to do. What they had taught and believed, God was acting contrary to those things. The movement of God opened Peter's eyes. And seeing it, he had no choice but to change. His belief, his theology had to then catch up with his personal experience. He had to change his mind to accommodate the way God was working in the world. Now that's... Often how it happens, not in the Facebook comments, not from arguments from the pulpit. I've been in ministry in some way for the last 20 years, and I've never argued anyone into anything from the pulpit. And I came from a tradition that loved to argue. And yet we continued to fail and felt superior in our beliefs because, well, they just don't get it. But people's beliefs change, their minds change when they experience Christ in new ways and new places. They see the Spirit moving and our minds change to catch up. 
So I ask, where do you see the Spirit moving today? Where is God pushing you in your own life? How is God calling you to change your mind? Who, in your experience, may be on the out with God, or maybe you're the one who feels like you're on the out with God outside of God's love. Can you see the Spirit blowing in their direction? Now, I used to believe that religion was rigid, that faith was static, that the goal of the Christian life was to reclaim some ancient faith, something that was lost, to bring it back and to hold on to it so we can't uh, lose it. But now I believe our faith might be more dynamic than that, more active, that our God is on the move, not static in time on a page, but still moving, still speaking, still growing, still teaching. Read through scripture, read through the book of Acts in particular, and you see God on the move, the Holy Spirit always arriving in a new place, pushing those boundaries, new places, new people, the boundaries of what they believe, challenged by the movement of God. And don't ever say that God can't do that or God can't love those people because chances are the next person you see God loving will be those very people. Chances are the place you think God could never show up will be the place where God has been all along. Now, I have good news for you today. It may not always seem like good news, but the good news is that it is okay to change your mind. In fact, it would seem that changing your mind is what the gospel of Christ is really all about. The book of Acts is all about conversion, but conversion begins inside of us. And God is always on the move. We can deny it. We can argue against it. But that's never stopped God. And as Peter said to those who question his actions and his change of mind, who are we to hinder God? Now, Peter's story is not the only one in this text. His story about the conversion of the first Gentiles to their Christian faith, that's not the only story of conversion here. There's three stories, the story of Peter changing his mind, the story of God opening uh, the the hearts of the Gentiles. But at the end, the people who are are, uh, contradicting Peter, who are challenging him, their minds are open too. And they praise God, the text says, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life, even to them God has given good gifts. And in that moment, Peter, those people, they all realize God's good news, that life is better, more joy-filled, more spirit-filled when we open our minds, lay down those presumptions and prejudices about who God is and who God loves and what God can do, and embrace the dynamic love of God wherever and on whomever it blows. Can you feel God blowing? The spirit moving, God changing your mind, knocking yourself over, maybe the wind blowing so strongly, your life turning upside down. You'll get right side up again. And when you do, you will realize that it's okay, that it's God at work. And there's no place better to be than where God is. Amen. And let us come to the table of the Lord as we sing together. Come share the Lord. Number 408.